Praise God. Are you ready to get into the Word today? If you want to grab your Bibles with me if you have them. We're going we're gonna to take our text for the most part in the Gospel of Mark. I'll be jumping to a lot of scriptures today, and so we'll put many of them up on the screen. If you're a note taker, that may help you to jot some things down to look at and study a little bit later. Last week, we started a brand new series here called We Build People. And uh, we started by honoring our first responders, those that serve our community. And uh, again, boy, if you were here and helped last week, thank you so much for being a part of that. I got a beautiful letter uh, from one of our police departments uh, just in response to the outpouring of love. Uh, They're showing their gratitude. And I was so appreciative to to receive that this week. And I just want to say to you, thank you for honoring those uh, that serve our community. Uh, When you honor God's people, you honor God. That's the biblical principle. And so today, we wanted to turn our attention in a different direction here. And we wanted to focus on kids. Because at this church, we don't just build people. We build young people, too. And we want to take some time today to really focus in on what God's called us to do and who God has called us to be as a church. Now, it was this Sunday, the same time on the calendar year, three years ago that I began preaching my first sermon series as the pastor of this church. I had had a couple of weeks to kind of, you know, get grounded and get to know some folks and pray and get a vision for what God wanted us to do. And then on this Sunday in September, three years ago, I began my first sermon series that was speaking directly towards what I felt in my heart God wanted to do in this church and who God wanted us to be in order to see this church Uh, revitalized and and come alive and and walk in the fullness of what God's plan was for us. Now, let me give you some context because most of you weren't here for that sermon series. But when the Lord brought us to this church, uh, there was a faithful remnant that were here. They were a strong foundation to build on, but they were a faithful few. There was about 30 people that attended the church here. And, uh, and most of the congregation at the time uh, was senior adults. They, a lot of them had been here for a number of years and had seen God do some great things in the past. But the church had been through a long season of attrition. And when the Lord brought us to this church, uh, just in the natural, just looking around, uh, it, was, it was an evident sign that there was something that God was going to have to do generationally in this church in order to bring it back to a place of of health and strength and and to be who God called us to be. The reason I I mentioned that uh, this morning is because I was going back this week to the notes from that sermon series that I preached that I started three years ago on this same Sunday. At that time, uh, the church had about three uh, kids in it. And so... Uh, I was speaking by faith towards some things that I really felt God had put in my heart. And as I often do on that Sunday, I wrote out my introduction word for word. And so I just thought to give you some context of where we were and what God is doing today, I wanted to start by reading you my introduction to that sermon from three years ago. Here it is. God has impressed greatly upon my heart that we must do any and everything we can as a church to reach the children of this community. 
with the love of Jesus. I believe that God wants us to work overtime as a church to regain a generation that was lost on our watch. Gone are the days of this church being identified as a single generation. Can you say amen that those days are gone? Gone are the days of doing church for ourselves. We must recognize the urgency of the hour and the aggression of the enemy to turn our society completely away from God. Morality, decency, chivalry, and respect. These things used to be taught in our society. Now the watchwords are self-expression and tolerance, no matter how indecent or immoral one's actions may be. Young people are so confused by the constant moving targets placed on them. They are pushed and encouraged to succeed, but everyone is playing the game by their own set of rules, and no one is defining for them what success looks like. On that day, I said to the church, it's up to the church to raise up another generation of boys and girls who know the word of God, who know how to hear God's voice and obey it. We must raise up another generation that will stand unswervingly for righteousness. On that Sunday, I talked to the church and began a series that we called The Samuel Project. And some of you may remember that. We talked about the opportunity that God gave to the priest in Israel, Eli, to raise up another young man in the house of the Lord. There was a cycle of, of sin and, and slowly moving away from the heart of God in the nation's history. And some 3,000 years later, we're in a similar situation that Eli was in. I told the church on that Sunday, I said, it looks like there's no hope for our nation. We live in a time when our nation is increasingly accelerating away from Christian moorings. The lack of faith in God is only accentuated by the lack of doctrine and morality in the church. This is exactly what Eli was seeing in his day. Even in his own sons who served with him in the ministry, the Bible says they had no regard for the Lord. But just as sure as God had a plan in Eli's day, he has a plan in ours. The church will not fail because the word of God will not fail. Eli needed an answer to prayer. He needed another opportunity to do things the right way. God had a plan for Eli, a new project. And that's the project that we began as a church and called it the Samuel Project. God would bring a young boy into the temple, a generation younger than Eli's own sons. And Eli would be given the opportunity to raise up a spiritual champion in his old age. And then on that Sunday... I spoke to the older generation in this church and I said these words. I want to challenge you to embrace the Samuel project for yourselves. God is bringing young children into this house again. And we need men and women of the spirit who will teach them to walk uprightly. Can I tell you today that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Do you have that picture this morning? God fulfills his word. That three years later, we see boys and girls filling this platform and ministering to us 
today. God is a God who keeps his word. Amen? Amen. Aren't you thankful for what God is doing in the church today? This is legacy. This is the heart of God. This is why God saw a faithful contingent of believers in Wrightsville. And he said, I'm going to breathe the breath of my Holy Spirit on them one more time. I'm not finished with this work. Because there's another generation coming behind them. This morning, I want to take the time that we have to give you four things that I believe we must do. As a church, these are four things that we do to build young people. And I know that I'm speaking to a broad audience. Some of you today are parents and you have kids. And I want you to know that these are four things that you need to do in your home with your children. Some of you, you're here and you don't have children living in the home with you. Or maybe you don't have any children at all. I want you to hear this on a different plane. I want you to hear that these four things are critically important that we as a faith family do because I want to promise you we need men and women of God to be spiritual mothers and fathers to the spiritual orphans in this community. We need people to understand what it means to raise up the next generation of believers. And maybe you're here today and you're not you don't have children and maybe you're here today and you're not a part of this church. I want you to hear it on a third level. I want you to know that the four things I'm going to tell you that we as parents need to do for our kids and that we as a church need to do for the children in this ministry, it's all things that God the Father is doing in your life. They're things that God wants to do in your life. The Bible says that God has lavished His love upon us by calling us the sons and daughters of God. So I want you to know you have a heavenly Father today that has a plan for your life. He wants to build up your spirit, man. He wants you to discover everything that He purposed you to do and everything that He's purposed you to be. And if we'll follow these four principles, I believe God is going to help us to raise up godly young men and women and to fulfill His purpose for us. So if you're a note taker, let me tell you the first one. It's simply... Include them. Include them. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, a very interesting account that took place with Jesus and his disciples as he was ministering to the people. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 13, the Bible says, The people were bringing the little children to Jesus to have him place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Look at the next verse. When Jesus saw this, the Bible says he was indignant. That word indignant means he was incensed. He was offended. He was irate. And this is what he said. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He was indignant. Can I I tell you what really happened in this moment? The disciples meant well. They were looking at everything Jesus was doing. He was ministering to to people who were crippled. He was opening the blind eyes. He was causing the lame to walk. He was preaching the gospel. And then these children started pressing in. And moms and dads started bringing their children. Just asking Jesus to place his hands on them. To bless them. And the disciples made a grave mistake that is often made in the church. What they thought was that kids ministry in this moment is a hindrance. That's really what they believed. 
for Jesus to stop what he's doing, the important work of ministering to all these adults, it's a hindrance to stop that and to start putting his time and attention on these kids. They assumed in the grand scheme of things that Jesus touching the children was not nearly as important. But can I tell you, moms and dads, there is nothing that is more important than Jesus touching the lives of our sons and daughters. There is nothing more important. Because I'll testify to you that if God would build a great church here, and God would do a mighty work in this community, and the end result is that I see my daughters grow up here and leave and be fed up and frustrated with God and with the church and with church people, I want to tell you it's all for nothing. I'd trade it all to know that Jesus touched my daughters. To know that they know what His touch feels like. What it means to have His blessing on their life. And there's nothing more important to this church than that we know that Jesus can get a hold of the hearts of our sons and daughters. And He can move on them in a personal and in a powerful way. But they missed it. They missed the importance of the moment. One of the saddest verses in all all the Bible, in my opinion, is found in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And it speaks about a time right after Moses had led the children out of Egypt, and then Joshua came along, and he led them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. They had experienced the goodness of God in the land flowing with milk and honey. But the Bible says in in Judges chapter 2, in verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done in Israel. Can you imagine? After all God did for them, the parting of the waters, the leading by fire at night, the leading by the cloud in the day, all of the victories over the enemies, the march around Jericho, the possessing of the land, the allotments to the tribes. And when they had all died, they took their testimony to the grave with them. And another generation followed them that knew not the works of God. Can I just tell you, church, we are always one generation away from extinction. That's why as a church, we have to be about building young people. Because the church is not going to die on my watch. And it it shouldn't die on yours. I want you to look at a scripture with me in Mark chapter 9. Jesus is sitting with his disciples in Mark 9. And he's teaching them. And while he's teaching them, in verse 36, he says these words. The Bible says he took a little child. He's teaching them, and there's a a child there in the room. He takes a little child whom he had placed among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Can I just tell you, I want the presence of God in this house. I want the presence of Jesus to be here. Every time we come to worship, every time we come to sing or to pray or to proclaim the word of God, I want God's presence in this house. And Jesus said, when you welcome a child in my name, you welcome me. 
And when you welcome me, you're welcoming God in this place. And I think the opposite can be said. And that is why Jesus was indignant at his own disciples. Because when we don't allow the children to come to Jesus, when we don't make room for them, we're not welcoming God to move the way that he wants to move. We ourselves become the hindrance to the greater work. And that's why it's so important that we include them. That we include them in what's being done. Parents, can I just challenge you? Include your kids in your spiritual journey. Include them. This morning in our uh, new members class, I, I shared my personal testimony of how God had led my family to this church. And, and I can remember the conversation that my wife and I had as we were getting ready to sell our house. And we were getting ready to resign from our current position. And, and we were doing all this by faith because God had chosen to not show us clearly where we were headed. And the conversation went like this. Should we tell our girls that we don't know where we're going? We don't want to freak them out. Should we tell them that, that we prayed and God said put the house on the market and it's sold. And so we're leaving in about 25 days but we don't know where we're going. Maybe we, maybe we should filter the story. Maybe we should just give them as much as they need to know. And, and the conversation ended around this point. We truly believe that God is leading us by his Holy Spirit. And if he is really leading us and we take this step of faith and we allow our girls to take this step of faith with us, they will never forget what it looks like to trust the unseen hand of God. But if we protect them from our own uncertainty, if we're afraid to pray risky prayers in their presence because God might not come through the way we want him to, how will they ever know what it means to trust in the living God? So we called it our great adventure summer. And we said, this is going to be exciting, girls, because we're going to take a road trip. And when it ends, we're going to have a new house. We're going to have a new church. You're going to have a new school. This is going to be exciting. Pack your bags. Can I challenge you, mom and dad, to pray risky prayers with your kids? If you're believing God for a miracle, don't just pray, now I lay me down to sleep. Mention that need to your children and say, would you agree with us in prayer? Your aunt is fighting an incurable disease, but we believe Jesus can heal her. Let's pray together. Now that's tough to say because, boy, what if we have to explain that it was God's will to not heal her and she passes and, and all of those things. You know what? God will give you the wisdom to parent your kids in the moment. Lead them in the faith journey. Invite them in. Include them. In what God wants to do. And as a church, I just want to say that we want to make this a house where the next generation can connect with God. We want them to have a place to connect with God here. Because that's what God did for us. He didn't look down on us and say, well, you, you weren't born to the right race. You're not the right nationality. You didn't come from the right home. There's no room for you here. No, he said, whosoever will may come. You make, there is room for you in my house and there is a seat for you at my table. And the good father set a pattern for us to make room to include our kids. Number two, we need to instruct them. Stay there in Mark chapter 9. There's a, a verse just a few passages later. Verse 42, it says, If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, still got this child with him. Jesus says, Those who believe in me, 
these little children, if you cause them to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. That's Jesus talking. He said, if you cause one of these children to fall away, you would be better off drowned in the bottom of the sea than to deal with the wrath that is coming for you. Now, I just don't believe that God makes idle threats. I believe that God's word is true. And when he speaks like this, I think it ought to get our attention. And there's a reason that at this church we create ministries that are specifically geared for kids. If you've ever been upstairs, you can see that it's not adult decorated. By the time you walk from the stairs to my office, your eyes are blurry from all the bright colors. But I don't want any child that comes to this church to refer to it as, that's my mom and dad's church, or that's my grandparents' church. No, I want them to say, this is my church. This is my church. That's, that's my kid's pastor. Those are my leaders. That's my church. God wants us to make room for them. That's why my wife and the team that she has spends hours every week preparing messages on their level. They communicate the gospel to them. They lead them. We built a platform up there. Ken helped lead this project three years ago. And we, we said, you know what? We want to build a platform. Now, it's only an eight-foot ceiling, so you don't need a platform. Kids can see you. But it really wasn't about creating the platform as much as it was distinguishing the altar space. That's what we really wanted. We wanted kids to know that in their own service, on their own level, they can seek God. And as you saw in the video package there, kids kneeling down and praying and worshiping God and seeking God. We need to include our kids But we also need to instruct them. We need to instruct them. You know, some people say, well, the kids are the church of tomorrow. And that may be true, but they are a vital part of the church of today. We need them in the church today. We need to instruct them. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. These commands that I give you, the Lord said, are to be upon your heart. That's where it starts. With a personal commitment. They have to be on your heart. And then he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. He said, impress these things upon your children. That's what it means to instruct our children in the way. Not just one hour a week. Not just a Sunday school class or or a kids' church service, but parents, this is our responsibility to impress them when we rise in the morning, when we walk on the way to school, when you're sitting at their bedside saying prayers at night, when you're gathered around the dinner table, impress these things upon your children. And the reason the impression lasts and it sticks is because it's authentically upon your heart. We're not talking about imposing religion upon your kids. We're talking about taking the love relationship that you have with your father God and impressing that upon your kids faithfully. We do that in a lot of ways. We impress it on our kids by what we say, most certainly, but also by what we do. Sad to say there are a lot of young people that grew up in the church that that left. After they graduated high school, they graduated their faith because they were jaded by... An inauthenticity that they saw at home. 
We live one way on Sunday and we act a different way during the week. The reality is we train our kids by what we do. We also train our kids by what we don't say and what we don't do. You know, I, I, when I'm driving in my car, I try to be safe and I try to be attentive to the drivers around me, but I try to get where I'm going. I mean, that's the priority. But I've noticed that when I'm driving in my car and I've got people following me, trying to get to a destination with me, I'm much more careful. I, I don't change lanes as quickly. I turn my turn signal on a little farther in advance. And we need to realize as parents that we've got some people following us. And it's important that they see how we do this thing called faith. Now, me sitting down and, and reading my Bible is important to my relationship with God. But, but I work at a church. I, I could do all my Bible study here. But because I have three little girls that are driving behind me and learning how to do this thing, it's important that I have some devotion time in the chair in my living room where they can see me. It's important that they know the Word of God matters to Dad. It matters to Mom. We have to instruct them in how to follow God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 4, it's a word to fathers, but it can be applicable to all of us. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Train your kids. Train your kids. The, the watch word is consistency. That's how, that's how you train them, with consistency, with diligence. The way we exasperate our kids is by changing the rules all the time. We see parents changing the rules. They, they lead out of emotion instead of devotion. There's a difference in saying, you know what? This is the way we're going to lead this household. This is the way it's going to run in our family. All right? We, we, don't, we don't talk back to one another. We don't yell at one another. That's, that's the way. You know, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath and harsh words stir up anger. So we're not going to respond with ugly voices. That's, that's saying here's the principle and then we're going to live by that. We're going to let the principles and the precepts of God's word guide us. That's totally different than leading by emotion. Leading by emotion says, why are you kids yelling at each other? We don't yell in this house. Ever. And we move the boundary lines. We say, you, you will go this far and no farther or you're getting it. There's the line. Try me. And you know what that kid's going to do. And then what do we do? I don't feel like disciplining him. One more time. And you're getting it. You know, or, or we, we, plan, we plan the trip to the park and, you know, you got the picnic packed. I mean, the food's in there. You're ready to go. You're on their way. Kids are screaming in the back seat. He's like, if you don't stop yelling at each other, I'm going to turn this car around. We're going back to the house. And then your spouse looks at you and says, no, we're not. I packed all that food. <laughs> you know you're not going back to the house. You want to have a picnic. But you're leading by emotion instead of devotion. We have to instruct our kids. Not exasperate them. 
believe it or not, as much as they kick, as much as they might push against the envelope, the thing that your kids really want are boundaries that don't move. They want stability. They want to know what's fair and what's foul so that they have a chance to win at the game. Nobody likes playing with somebody that changes the rules all the time. So we need to instruct our kids in the way that they should go. That's what God does for us, isn't it? He instructs us. He's given us the Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. It's God's word. It tells us how to do this thing called faith, how to serve God, how to get to where God wants us to go. It's all there. There's there's no mystery. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And not only that, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the counselor. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He counsels us. Why? Because we need instruction. Because we need help to to get where we need to go to to deal with difficult situations. He doesn't leave us and abandon us and say, I hope you figure it out. He leads us. We need to be that way with our children. Let me give you the third one quickly. Involve them. Not only instruct them and include them, but involve them. Can I just say, days like today are really important. And, And if you don't have kids here and and you have no vested interest in kids' ministry, thank you for clapping and smiling and cheering them on because it's important. And I can just tell you, I, I'm not here in this moment doing what I'm doing if, if I wasn't there as a kid being cheered on by adults in the church, people who gave me a chance. I would hate to hear the recordings of some of the songs I sang in church as a teenager. I'm just telling you. I mean, I know in my imagination, like, uh, it was beautiful and, and the fire of God just fell and consumed everybody and I was so gifted and anointed, but come on. My voice was cracking, my knees were knocking, I was nervous, but somebody gave me space. Somebody gave me an opportunity to get involved in the ministry and that's what they're doing upstairs. Our kids are, are reading the Bible stories and they're acting out the stories and they're giving to missions through BGMC and they're encouraging one another in small groups. I, I just want to commend the guys yesterday that brought your sons to the men's breakfast to give them a seat at the table and let them know, hey, you're one of the guys. That's important. That's important. But what about at home? What about at home? Involve them. Invite your kids to be a part of prayer time. We've started doing something in, in our family uh, where uh, we, just, we just finish the sentence kind of prayers. Like I'll start praying and then I just stop mid-sentence and then somebody else finishes the sentence and they, they pray and then somebody else. And, and we've, just, we've just made a game of it. We've made it fun. And so it's become a pattern for us in our house that we just, everybody, everybody prays together. And it's awesome to hear the things that are on the hearts of our kids have your kids read the Bible to you at devotion time. This last year, uh, my wife and my daughters and I, we went to a compassion experience that was hosted in Lancaster. And uh, our girls picked a little girl from Central America that we wanted to sponsor as a, as a Compassion International child. Her picture's on our fridge. They're learning compassion. They're, they're getting involved in our faith. We're not just doing that... In, dragging them along. I wish I had time to take you to all these stories, but let me just mention one to you. In Mark chapter 6, 
It's the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000. The Bible says that the multitude was there. It was late in the afternoon. Everyone was hungry. And the disciples came to Jesus. And here's what they said. They said, Jesus, send the crowds away so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says something that's just absurd. He says, you feed them. You feed them. And immediately they began to make excuses. Immediately they started going, Jesus, you know, it would take half a year's wages to, to come up with the food. And Philip, he was from that area. He starts thinking about how many... Uh, how much time it's going to take to get to the next village and to round up all the food. And they're, they're just going, God, we can't do this. This is just not even possible. And they said that before they even took an evaluation of what they had available to them. There was one little boy who was there who had a lunch. Just five loaves and two fish. It was probably more like five crackers and two sardines. A boy's lunch. And they took that little boy's lunch and they brought it to Jesus. And Jesus used it to feed a multitude. You know what? Our our kids will never realize the potential of what God has put in their hands unless we give them an opportunity to bring it to Jesus. Give them an opportunity to serve. Give them an opportunity to lead. Give them an opportunity. Who knows what multitudes God will touch by what's in their hand. Let me give you the fourth one quickly. The last one. Invest them. Invest them. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 127 in verse 4. Man, this this scripture got so in my heart this week. Psalm 127 verse 4, look at it with me. It says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Like arrows. Now, I'm not much of a hunter. Uh, Day and I tried to shoot archery earlier this year and I think she was better than I was honestly but I know this arrows are designed to fly they're designed to be released that's why it's important that we understand the purpose that God has given us with our children is to invest them there's some people that have this philosophy about their children Uh, It's not like an arrow being released. It's more like a caged bird that they just have custody and control of for a while. And they open the cage and they don't know what they're going to do. And they say, well, they're spreading their wings. There they go. And that is not at all what the Bible says it's like to raise children in the kingdom of God. The Bible says they're arrows to be released. And not only does it say they're arrows to be released... It says they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Not, not arrow in the hand of, of me. I don't, know how to, I don't know what to do with an arrow. I'm not very good with a bow. But they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Someone who has had practice. Someone who is precise. Someone that has a specific target in mind. And when they release that arrow, it hits the mark that it was intended for. That is what our children are to be like. Let me just say this. You, you can't make kids love God. And maybe, you, maybe you've raised your kids in church and you, you tried your best and you did right. And they chose to go their own way and they chose to run from God. And, and that, that may happen because they have a free will. But you and I are going to be held accountable for the accuracy and the release with which 
we launch them out, with which we invest them, because that is what God has called us to do. I want to revert back to the story I started with about young Samuel. Eli, the prophet, he had squandered his opportunity. He had two sons of his own, Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible says they were wicked. They were wicked young men. And the judgment of God came to Eli's house because of the way he parented those two young men. The judgment of God. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, in verse 13. God said this. He said, for I told him, talking about Eli, I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. The question that God asked Eli earlier in the story is he said this. He said, Eli, why do you honor your sons more than me? Why do you honor your sons more than me? He goes on to explain there's a principle here, Eli. Those who honor God, I will honor. But those who despise me, I will disdain. So understand that when when it comes to compromising, when it comes to compromising the standard, moving the boundary lines, and when it comes to us being more concerned with our child's approval than our heavenly father's approval, We've dishonored God. That's what he's saying. We've dishonored God. God is saying your your job is to to parent them, to train them, to pull them back in the right direction and release them with purpose. It's not to be your child's best friend at all costs. You have a purpose and a mission. The reality is that is exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us. He has a purpose for us. He's... He's invested us in the earth. When Jesus was ascending back to heaven, he told his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel. It's everything that he had drawn the bow back for. He had empowered them by the Holy Spirit with a purpose. He said, here's your purpose. Here's what I'm investing you in. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to take the gospel to the nations. That's your purpose. And God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. I want to just go to one final verse today to share with you. It's in Isaiah chapter 49. Probably not a verse you read this week. But in it, it reveals the plan and the purpose of God for His people. And the Bible says in Isaiah 49... Verse 1, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. Now, listen to this next part. I love this. It says, he made me into a polished arrow, and he concealed me. In his quiver. Now let me tell you what's happening in this moment. The children of Israel have been exiled. They've been overtaken. They've lost their kingdom. They're living in a distant land. And the word of the Lord comes. And it says, I've made you a polished arrow. In other words, you have a purpose. 
that, that's a special arrow. It's been polished. It's been refined so that it can fly straight and far. I've made you a polished arrow, he tells them. But look at the context here. The Lord said to me, you are my servant, verse 3 says. Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But here's the response. Verse 4, he said, but I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. Here's how he felt in his flesh. He's going, God, this, this is a waste. I mean, I've wasted my time. I've wasted my energy. Here we are living in exile. But I know this. I know that my reward is in God's hand. Because God has a purpose for me. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew the plan for my life. I'm a polished arrow. So I don't know what you're doing, but I know you have a purpose and a reward for me. And I want you to look at verse 6. Because the desire of the people was to go back home. That was it. They just wanted to get back to Israel. They just wanted to be able to get out of captivity and go back home. But it says, the Lord says to them in verse 6, He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept. That's what they wanted. They just wanted to get back to Israel. They wanted to restore the people of God. And God says, no, no, no. You've missed the bigger picture. You're a polished arrow. I have something invested in you. It's not enough. It's too small a thing for you to just be my servant to restore Jacob and bring back those people that I have kept. I also, he says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God was saying this about his people. He was saying, I'm not just, I'm not just including you and instructing you. I'm investing you. I'm, I have a purpose for your life that's even bigger than what you can see here and now. And he said, I'm going to use you to take the gospel to the nations. It's the very thing that Jesus said to his disciples. And it's the purpose of the church. And it's our job as parents and as a church family to invest our kids. Because there's going to come a moment of release. And my kids are young and I don't even like to think about it. But the reality is, there's coming a moment as I raise them up and I point their life towards the purpose that God has for them. There's coming a day that I'm going to let go and release them into the purpose that God has for their life. And that's what God wants for us. That's what He wants us to do with our sons and with our daughters. So this morning, we're going to pray in just a moment for our kids because we need God's help to shoot straight to train them right. But first, I just want to pray a prayer and I want to open this up to anyone in the room that maybe you're here today and you're listening to this message from the context of what does it really mean to be a son or to be a daughter of God? What does that look like? What does it mean? I want to tell you today, God loves you. He's for you. And He sent His Son, Jesus, to redeem you from your sins. The Bible says, and I I quoted this verse in the beginning, how great is the love that He has lavished upon us, that we, 
might be called the sons and daughters of God. You know why it's great love? Because we don't deserve that title. None of us do. It's great love because though we don't deserve it, He lavished His love upon us. He adopted us. He said, I choose you. I want you. Not only do I, I want you, I want to teach you. I want to include you in my family. There's a seat here at the table for you. You're included. And, I, and I've written my word down. And I've given you my spirit to instruct you and to teach you and, and to lead you in the way that you should go. And I put you in a church family. This is a place of grace where you can discover your gifts and your abilities and you can get involved. You don't have to jump through 25 hoops. God says if you believe, you belong. You can be a part of the family. And I want to use you. The Bible's full of people who were failures who God used greatly to back up the reality that it's because of His grace and not our goodness. He involves us in the story of redemption. God's plan is that your life would be filled with purpose. That you're not out there aimlessly trying to find some reason for being God has drawn back the bow he has a purpose for your life he wants to release you into your God given destiny today it begins with a relationship it begins with a confession that says Jesus I need you would you forgive me of my sins would you cleanse me of my past would you pluck my life out of the kingdom of darkness and put me in the family of God Would you, would you receive me as a son? Would you receive me as a daughter? Would you lavish me today with your great love? And I want to tell you, he will. And I want to pray for you.